0: Well, hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the harbor. All righty. Now that you've high-fived a few people, sit down. You know what I'm saying? Hey, so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us on a Thursday night. I especially want to say, if you're new, if you haven't been here in a little while, I just want to say I'm really glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you would want to spend a little bit of your Thursday night with us. Anybody in summer already? Clap if you're in summer. Yeah? Come on. Okay. Anybody graduate today? We got, I know one person. Come on, give it up for these guys who graduated today. That's incredible. Yes. Felicidades. Amazing. Incredible. Hey, uh, very proud of you all. Very proud of you all. May your hats fly as high as your dreams, is what Michael Scott says. And uh, that's what I say as well. Anybody got like, like they literally have so much school up, they don't even know when they're going to graduate. Anybody in that position? Give it up for them. Give it up for them. As a, as a Come on. Clap as an appreciation that they're going to finish, that God's going to get them through it. If God called you to it, he's going to get you through it. I don't know. I just felt like giving you a little motivational speech. We believe in you as well. Hey, uh, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 in your Bibles. Uh, We are going to be diving into a a scripture that, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be a little bit intense. I feel like I say that every week. I don't know. Maybe I just like intense scriptures. Sometimes the Bible is intense, but man, uh, if you if you don't have a Bible, it's all going to be on the screens. If you don't know where Genesis is, great news for you. It is the first book in the Bible. So turn to page one, and then like turn like one to two pages. You'll see Genesis four. If if you accidentally just brought your New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, it's not going to be in there. I hate to say, but that's okay. We have it on the screen, and we are in a series of messages right now called "Myself the God." Myself, the God. And the heartbeat of this series is we are looking and journeying through Genesis chapter 1 through 11. Some of the most misunderstood, confusing scriptures. But also, like, some of the most interesting and just beautiful scriptures. Like, every single person has questions like, where did we come from? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why is there so much brokenness in the world? And, like, literally all of those are answered in, like, the first 10 pages of the Bible. And so that's kind of why we're journeying through these scriptures. There's some that a lot of people maybe haven't read or maybe they've read before and they're confusing. And so we're hoping to bring some clarity and some understanding to them. And so uh, that's where we're going to be, Genesis chapter 4. And I know I just prayed, but I'm going to pray one more time that God would bless the reading of our scripture. And then we're going to dive in. So if you would, would you pray with me one more time? God, we thank you so much for this night. Thank you for the story that we are about to read God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I truly believe that whenever we open this thing, that you speak and that we see your heart. So show us your heart tonight, God. Help us to be closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So week one and two of our series, Myself the God, we set the stage of God's beautiful and amazing creation. And it was like the best opening ever. It was like the movie where you loved the intro and you're like, I can't imagine anything going wrong here. It's that perfect and that beautiful. And then last week, if you were here, Pastor Nate, he spoke on the worst day in human history, the day when it all went wrong and when Adam and Eve chose to sin. Thanks a lot, guys. For real, you literally ruined it all for all of us. And now we're going to continue in this journey in Genesis chapter 4. So I have a title for us tonight, and then I have a subtitle, okay? So here's the title. I've been trying to keep all of my uh, titles for this series as one word. Week 1 was God. Week 2 was human. Here's week 4. It is murder. murder. Everybody say, whoa. I have the subtitle, though, because week 1 is, uh, we, or the title is, is murder, but here is the subtitle. And you can repeat this after me. That escalated quickly. Everybody say, that escalated quickly. You ever had a situation in your life that you thought you had under complete control, and then all of a sudden, you were like, man, like, this got out of hand quick. That's literally what it is. Like, in my Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, page 2 And the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. This is like great. And then you flip over and page four, like it's about to go horribly wrong. It escalates quickly. So let's dive in. Let's read Genesis chapter four, starting in verse one. Now Adam knew Eve, that means, you know, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. How many want to say that? How many ladies in here want to be like, I want to speak Cain over myself? I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Like that. Some people can literally say that. That just means that, that Cain was born, but hey, I just want to prophesy over you guys. I, I speak that into existence for you ladies tonight, okay? Somebody's going to walk out of here and be like, I got a man with the help of the Lord. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Make sure they're nice, all right? Make sure, make sure they're Christians. Whew. All right, here we go. Now, again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. So, Cain and Abel, a tale of two brothers, literally a tale as old as time, right here. We see brothers Cain and Abel. Now, verse 3 In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So we have a little tension in the story. Do we have any legit like brothers and sisters or siblings in the room tonight? Like any who are actually siblings? We got, we got the Drotties in here who are siblings. Okay, uh, give it up for Josh Drottie who sang tonight. Come on, give it up for him. All right. Give it up for Zach Drottie who is amazing as well. Give it up for Bianca who is Zach's wife, also amazing. Hey, who, which of you guys was like the favorite in the family? Is that true? Is, was he the favorite? Okay, depends on who you're asking. Okay. Well, like this legit happened, okay? So like Abel was the favorite, and, and how many people in here consider themselves to be the favorite child of the, of the family? I consider myself to be the favorite child of the family. If you ask everyone in the family, that's me. Who would consider themselves to be like I, somebody else was the favorite child of the family? Shush, okay, okay. We'll pray for you all at the end. This is actually not a sermon about that, but here we go. Anyways, um, so, okay, so you can imagine it's kind of a bummer when someone else is like the favorite child of the family, but like in this situation, like Abel is like the favorite child of God kind of a thing. That's kind of a bummer. Now, that's actually not true because God loves both Cain and Abel equally, but that's how Cain feels, and we can learn that in verse five. Look at it. It says this. Cain was very angry And his face fell. Cue George Michael, like walking sadly with the Charlie Brown music. It's only like three people got that. But like, cue sad music, his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now here's what's really interesting. We all have like negative emotions from time to time. We have anger, we have disappointment, we have frustration, we have comparison. And so often we consider those negative emotions sin. But here's the deal. Negative emotions like anger or frustration or disappointment, they are not sin. But according to this, they should be a red flag for us because they mean sin could be right around the corner if we're not careful. When you feel anger, when you feel discouragement, when you feel tired, when you feel emotionally drained, these are times when the enemy is ready to attack. And so the negative feelings that we have should be a time for us to be alert because that could mean that the enemy is trying to attack us. Now, a lot of scholars have asked the question, why was Cain's offering rejected by God and Abel's offering accepted by God? And here's here's the truth. It's not because Cain's offering was like fruits and veggies and Abel's offering was like a blood sacrifice or something like that. In fact, we discover, if you have your Bible, look with me back at verse 3, It says this, that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So the picture that we get here is this, that Cain brought something to God, and Abel brought his best to God. See, the firstborn of the flock, that's like the prized possession. He doesn't have any other flocks at this point. This is the only one he has. And not only that, but the fat portions, like we're talking about like the good hamburger right here. Okay, we're talking about the good steak. Like this is the tasty stuff. So he doesn't give that to, to himself. He's not like, I'm gonna I'm cook a steak here and then all the gross stuff I'm gonna give to God. He gives God his absolute best. And so we get a picture here of what God values when it comes to a sacrifice. Now, we do not sacrifice animals. That's amazing. Like, that's super exciting that we don't have to do that. But God actually has certain things that he values. God owns everything, so God doesn't need gifts from us. God values the heart of the giver much more than he values the gift. But oftentimes the gift reveals the heart of the giver. And so you get this picture with Cain that he's looking at his fruit and he's like, hey, I'm not really going to use this one. So like, I guess I'll give it to God. And in fact, you, throughout the Bible, as we look, we discover that God values it when we give something that is worth something to him. Not because he needs something, but because he wants our hearts. And the gift shows the condition of our hearts. There's a time in the Old Testament where David, it's one of my favorite stories, David actually shows up and he's going to make this sacrifice to God. And he goes to the, a field and he asks the owner of the field, he says, I want to buy your field because I want to make a sacrifice to God in this field. And the owner's like, look, I love God. If you want me to make a sacrifice to God in this field, I will give it to you. Because I'm not, I'm not going to like charge you to make a sacrifice. And David's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna pay you for this. And here's the reason. Because I am not going to sacrifice to the Lord my God something that costs me nothing. David knew and he wanted God to know that he wanted to do something costly as a sacrifice. So you and I, we, we, we should look and we should examine our relationship with God and we should say, if I'm not doing anything costly for God, am I actually showing him how much I value him. Again, God doesn't need anything from us. He wants our hearts. But oftentimes, the gift that we give demonstrates the condition of our hearts. And so when it comes to the things of God, we are encouraged with whatever we give to God. We shouldn't give under compulsion. We shouldn't give out of obligation. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 but each person should decide for themselves what they want to give and give it cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. But when it comes to the things of God, may we be people who give generously to God and say, God, I wanna give you my best. I don't want you to just get something that I don't have any other use for, so I'm gonna give it to you. I wanna give my best to God. Let's keep reading. We are in verse eight. So God has warned Cain, And God says, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. Look at verse eight with me. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Abel said, I do not know. Or Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So just like Adam and Eve hid from God, lied and shifted blame, Cain does the exact same thing. I don't know. Like, am I my brother's keeper? It's not my fault. I don't know where he is. You keep track of him. Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer. On the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be on- hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to Cain, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord shall put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now we're going to come back to this and talk a lot about this throughout the night. But here's what happened the Lord disciplines Cain, he gives a consequence to Cain, and he says, Look, even though you're a farmer, you're not going to be a farmer anymore. You're not going to be able to get anything out of this land. You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. There is consequence for the sin that we commit. And Cain's like, Look, I can't do it. Like, this punishment is too, bear, too great for me to bear. And so God actually shows mercy to Cain. Even though God could have said, Look, tough luck. Like, you killed somebody, all right? So, like, you don't get anything from me. Like, you should die. God actually says, look, I'm gonna put my hand of protection on you. I'm gonna put my hand of favor on you and people aren't going to harm you and bother you. Isn't that amazing that even a murderer, God shows mercy and grace to. And God says, you're not gonna get harmed and I'm gonna put my protection around you. Even in the middle of someone who has completely rejected God, read the whole thing, Cain has completely rejected God. God still shows his, his mercy and his grace to this man. So let's keep reading. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. We're in verse 17. When Cain built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Okay, we got we to gotta ask a question. If anybody's doing math with me, and you've been reading along, in my count, there's three humans. We got Adam, Eve. Cain and Abel, but there's no more Abel, so we got only three. Where, where'd the wife come from? Okay, you guys ready for something awkward? Say, tell me something awkward. All right, here's what uh, David Guzik, a pastor, says. And uh, listen, this is his words, not mine. I'm just the messenger here. Necessity demanded that Adam's sons marry his daughters. Everybody say weird. At this point, the gene pool of humanity was pure enough to allow close marriage without the harm of inbreeding. But as a stream can get polluted as further from the source, there came a time when God decreed that no longer there should be marriage between close relatives because of the danger of inbreeding. So Cain found himself a wife and he found her at the family reunion. There it is. Everybody say that's weird. Everybody say, let's move on. All right, let's move on. Verse 18. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in t- tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was a forger of instruments of bronze and iron. In case you were wondering about the sister of Tubal-Cain, her name was Nama. Here's what's happening here. We're seeing that human beings are actually fulfilling the commandment that God gave them. God gave them a commandment in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so human beings are actually doing that. Like civilization is moving forward. We see here that somebody figured out some advancements in living arrangements and advancements in farming. That was J Ball. His bro Jubal, more of the artistic type, f- figures out advancements in music. There's someone who figures out advancements in technology. And so, what we're seeing here is that as people progress, civilization progresses. And the same commandment that God gave, which is make civilization, make something awesome happen, that's actually happening. But even with this beauty, we see brokenness as well. Let's look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. This is the first, or one of the first poems, by the way. Your wife, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. It's kind of a weird, random thing that is recorded. So here's the big idea. Even though there are some good things that are happening in civilization, we also see that as the generations continue, brokenness continues as well. Cain's descendants continue in sin and continue to rebel and continue to walk away from God. Cain's son, Lamech, is doing the exact same thing Cain did. He's actually making it worse. He's taking revenge. And he's saying, I'm actually taking revenge way worse than my father did. Last verses we're going to read tonight, verse 25, it ends on a hopeful note. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and his name was Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And so we see here there is a short-term hope, but there's also a long-term hope. The short-term hope is people are calling on the name of the Lord. And this is always what happens, because there is brokenness in the world. There's rebellion in the world against God, but even in a generation of rebellion, people are still calling out to God. That's what's happening today. There are people today who want to say, you know what, like everything in this generation is so horrible, people are like just walking away from God in droves, but yet look around. There are people who are calling out to the name of the Lord. There are people in our generation, there are people in this world today who wanna see God do great things. And that is always how it goes. In addition to that, there's a long-term hope in this thing. Because Adam's son, Seth, is listed in Luke chapter three as one of the ancestors of Jesus. And so there is a direct line straight from Seth To Jesus. In other words, God is already preparing a Messiah, a Savior to come and to rescue the world. So that's Genesis chapter 4. It ends with hope, but there is a lot of darkness and a lot of despair, okay? Now I'm guessing maybe possibly some people in here are kind of a little bit like, okay, I was coming tonight, it's been a long week. I've had to fight love bugs all week like I was hoping for some encouragement, okay? And we just read a story about murder. Kind of a bummer. So, so are you hoping for some hope? Do you need some hope tonight? Okay, I'm glad you said that. I have a big idea. It's a very hope-filled big idea. Jot this down. This is the big idea. It's way worse than you think. Come on. Here's the big idea. It's way worse than you think. Like, and I promise you that, like, I'm being intentional with this. There's a reason that I want to say this, but I need us all right now in this room to get it in our hearts and to get it in our minds that, like, sin is actually way worse than we think it is. But I'm not going to leave you with that because that would be really sad. I always want to leave you with hope. So you can also jot this down. It's way better than you think. Turn to somebody and say, it's way worse than you think. But then give a little bit more oomph and say, but it's also way better than you think. So here's what we're going to do. First off, I'm going to tell you why it's way worse than you think. And then secondly, I'm going to tell you why it's way better than you think. Halfway through, it's going to get a lot better. But here's why it's way worse. Jot this down. This is the first idea for tonight. Sin is a catastrophic epidemic. This is what we learn from Genesis chapter four is that sin is a catastrophic epidemic. What is sin, you might ask? Sin is us revolting against God. Sin is us rebelling against God. It's us saying, look God, I realize and know that you are infinite and perfect and holy and completely wise and You made everything, and I've been around for for 23 to 25 to 30 years, and I have a history of messing everything up, but still, I believe that I am smarter than you. That's what sin is. It's us saying, God, you are wrong, and I am right, and I genuinely believe I can run this better than you. And the problem is, every single one of us in this room, maybe we haven't said it, maybe we haven't thought it, but we've all lived it. We've all demonstrated this is it. This is what I'm believing. And I chose these words completely intentionally. Here's what catastrophic means. Catastrophic means causing sudden and great damage and suffering. Epidemic means a widespread occurrence of an infectious disease. So it's bad and it's covering all of us. That's what sin is. Katie and I, we've been watching the West Wing on Netflix. I highly recommend it, amazing show, 10 out of 10. And here's what happens a lot of times in the West Wing is that the staff of the president will come to him and they're like, look, President Bartlett, something terrible has happened. And he always asks, he's like, first off, how bad is it? And secondly, how many people does it affect? Here's the thing about sin. It's really bad and it affects everybody. That's what sin is. Like if you look at the story, one generation ago, Adam and Eve are naked and they're hanging out in the garden completely shame free. One of them rejects God by eating a fruit and all of a sudden, a generation later, murder is happening. Brothers are killing each other. And then a generation after that, it gets worse and worse and worse and the spread of sin affects everybody. My friend Ethan, a couple years ago at the harbor, he preached on this passage and he shared the illustration of Chernobyl. Chernobyl was a nuclear reactor in Eastern Europe and it melted down and, and it literally caused massive nuclear fallout all over the country. So there was an immediate devastation that happened where it ruined people's lives in the moment. But then what happened after that was there was this acid rain that fell, and it actually caused more death and more devastation as time went on. And this is the picture of what sin is. The immediate devastation happens when we reject and we rebel against God. And that's the true problem. But the fallout from that is that we ruin our relationship with each other, and we ruin our relationship with ourselves. And so sin actually has this massive fallout effect, not only on us, but on everyone else. And I think in our hearts, we all know this, but sometimes we need a reminder, because honestly, what I think is that sometimes we kind of act like sin is not a big deal. We kind of act like it's like, look, here's the deal, what sin is. like, Sin is kind of the thing that like, I know it bums God out, and I like God, and I do my best when it's convenient for me to be cool to God and I want to hang out with him in heaven someday. So like when it works out, I won't sin. Like that's the plan. And that's kind of our mentality sometimes. But what we have to realize is that sin is actually us rebelling against God and that that rebellion is actually a devastation to us and a devastation to the people around us. So many people, man, they, they they say like the things that I'm doing, they're not they're not that big of a deal, okay? Like like the 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 sins that I'm committing or the things that I'm walking in, it, it's it's fine, it's it's no biggie, like like so many of us, we've tried to convince ourselves that lust and porn and masturbation, like that's not a big deal, like it, it's fine, like it's not really hurting anyone. God doesn't really have a huge problem with it. It's all good, but let me tell you, like. Choosing that is choosing to reject God and walk away from God. And choosing that is also choosing to mess up many other relationships in your life. To warp your mind, to go internal instead of external, and to love and serve yourself instead of loving and serving other people. And it's going to cause devastation not only in your current situation, but it's going to cause devastation down the road. Laziness. It seems like it's not a big deal. It's, it's, it's fine. And I'm not saying when I say ra- laziness, I'm not saying rest. Rest is good. It's important to Sabbath. But some of us, we're lazy. And la- laziness is actually something that it rejects against God's future for us. And we choose to, to say, I'm not interested in what God has for me because I'm more interested in my own comfort. Fear of other people. That's a sin that maybe a lot of people don't even consider a sin. But like, I'm so afraid of what everyone else thinks about me. I'm so afraid of of everyone else's opinion of me. I so want everyone else to like me that I'm not gonna follow God. I'm gonna follow what other people want or I'm gonna follow what I perceive other people to want. These things are things that we can act like they're no big deal, but it leaves a catastrophic devastation in its wake because what we're doing is we're choosing to Take the easy road right now and we're leveraging our future and we're ignoring and walking away from our future because of it. And so we have to get into our heart, we have to get into our minds that sin is not just no big deal. It's not a cute little pet that we can kind of keep in the closet, but that it actually has devastation in our lives. And this is what we see through the story of Cain and Abel. The second thing is, and like I said, it's it's worse than we think, and it's gonna get worse before it gets better. We have to realize that when we sin, our natural reaction is to run and hide. This is what we learned from the story of Cain and Abel. And here's something that I learned, and I didn't see this before, and I didn't notice this before, but as I looked at it, I realized how true it is and how I've done this before and how I'm guessing all of us have done this before. Look look at me at verse 12. God is speaking to Cain, and he's talking about the consequences of his actions, and God says, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Then Cain said to God, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. Now let me ask you, did God say to Cain, you can't see my face anymore? Did God ever say that he was driving Cain away from him? If you look at the Bible, you will see that, in fact, God did not say that. So what happened was Cain put words in God's mouth. Cain ascribed intent to God. Cain twisted what God said and actually made it worse. Now look, look at this, look at verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Guess what, you can't actually leave the presence of the Lord. God is everywhere. And so the only way that you can leave God's presence is if you choose to walk away from God's presence. And so what I realized as I studied this story is that Cain, first off, assumed God was angry at him, ascribed anger to God, and then chose to remove himself from God's presence based on his sin. And this is what so many of us do. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, and I haven't seen them in a while. And I'm like, where have you been? And and they start describing, you know, a sin or something that they've done that's gotten them away from God. And and the next thing is, look, I, I messed up, I screwed up, but then I walked away even farther. Instead of running towards God, instead of running towards his family, they walk away. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm right there with them too. Like, this is my natural heart default. Even though I know it in my head, so often when I mess up, I find myself just walking away. An example of this is, like, I know for me personally, when I wake up in the morning, like, I, I just can't, it's not good for me emotionally to just, like, scroll my phone. Like, I love to do it. It's the most natural thing in the world for me. And I'll kill an hour on Instagram, like on House of Highlights and just the stories and the feed and then jump over to YouTube. And like, just I just feel my soul rotting away. It's like the worst thing to do in the morning. But what's crazy is like most of the time I have the self-discipline to do it, but sometimes I'm just scrolling. And I know it's wrong. I'm not saying it's a sin to scroll, but I know for me, I'm walking, I'm, I'm just, I'm choosing less than God's best for that moment. And so I know it's wrong. And so I start feeling shame and I start feeling guilt. But instead of stopping and running towards God, I actually want to remove myself and scroll more because I feel bad and I feel guilty and I feel embarrassed. I don't want like God to see me reading his word because like I've been scrolling Instagram for like the past hour. Clearly I've already communicated how I feel about God. And instead of me running towards God, I actually choose to run away. This is naturally what we do. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, why do we do that? And I genuinely believe that the reason that we do this is because we believe God is going to be mad at us. We believe that when we show up, that God's going to be like, what was your problem? Like, Like, how dare you? Where were you? And we ascribe accusation to God. But the crazy thing is, it says in the scripture that God is not our accuser. It says that actually Satan is our accuser. It says in Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 that day and night, Satan is in the presence of God accusing us. And yet, it says that with God, there is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 says, who's going to bring a charge against us? No one. God chooses to justify, so no one can condemn And so in fact, as we look at the character of God, when it comes to our sin and when it comes to our failure, God is not running on the scene to condemn us. God is running on the scene to rescue us. And over and over again, we see this. Even Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve mess up. God's the first one there. And yes, he brings correction. Yes, he brings discipline, but he also brings grace. The exact same thing happens in Genesis chapter 4. God is the first person on the scene. He doesn't run away from the sin. He runs toward the sin, and he comes with a heart of grace and mercy. Luke chapter 15, God is depicted as the good shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. He's depicted as the father running toward the prodigal son. I think we need to realize and we need to wrap our minds around the fact that God is not coming towards us as an angry accuser, he's coming towards us as a first responder. He's actually on the scene to offer rescue and to offer redemption. This is the heart of God towards us. And so when we sin, man, may we not run and hide. May we run towards God. May we realize that God is not running away from us, God is running towards us. And God's heart for us is a rescue. God's heart for us is redemption. That list of sins I just shared with you earlier, lust and laziness and fear of people, like God is not like coming towards us trying to yell at us about that stuff. That's what I'm doing. I'm yelling right now. God's coming towards us and God wants to offer redemption. God wants to offer reconciliation. And God's heart towards us is as a first responder. His heart towards us is that he wants to take that mess and transform it into a story of his grace. That's the invitation of God towards us. I told you it was gonna get better. It's way worse than you think, but it's also way better than you think. And here's how it's way better. This is the last thing that I want us to write down is this, that when it comes to God's grace, we need to think bigger. When it comes to God's grace, we need to think bigger. I believe that the story of Cain and Abel is a story that is actually chock full of God's grace. So we need to think bigger, like way bigger. Write that down, way bigger. Here's what God's grace is. God's grace is anything that is good and beautiful coming towards us from God because of Jesus Christ. The truth is that all of us deserve judgment because of our sin. So anything short of judgment is God's grace. So salvation is God's grace. Forgiveness of our sin is God's grace. God inviting us into his family. God giving us an opportunity to draw near to him and to seek him. God inviting us to be part of a community. God changing our lives. God giving us warnings about sin. All of it's God's grace. Every breath that we breathe is God's grace. Every opportunity to worship is God's grace. Every moment when we wake up and we get to open our eyes and live in the beauty of the world that God created, all of it's God's grace. The fact that this world is the worst that we're ever gonna see as Christians because our future is so amazing, that's God's grace. It is literally all God's grace, and even this, even discipline is God's grace. Some of us right now, we're living in the consequences of a sin that we committed, and we feel like God is mad at us because he's disciplining us. But it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse six, that the Lord Disciplines those he loves. So if you're experiencing the discipline of God, you are actually experiencing God's love. When God said to Cain, You're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer, God was disciplining him. But that was proof that God loved him. Everything that we experience as Christians, short of judgment and hell, is us walking in God's grace it's so much bigger than we think. So how did God show grace to Cain? God showed grace to him by showing up before he sinned and warning him. And some of us are in that place right now where we're about to make a bad decision and God is screaming on the inside, warning, 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 do not go there. That's God's grace. God gave Cain grace by disciplining him. God gave Cain grace by actually choosing to put his hand of protection on him after he sent. But God's grace is even bigger than that. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and help me close out this message. But I wanna tell you something that's even more beautiful about God's grace. You see, Abel is actually a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. Abel was a silent sufferer just like Jesus. Abel was innocent but was killed by a jealous brother just like Jesus was. Abel's blood cries out from the ground just like Jesus's blood cries out from the ground. But here's what is absolutely amazing. You and I We have an opportunity tonight to have a relationship with Jesus and Jesus is actually a better able. Because God said of Cain, to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to the ground and it's condemning you. But what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, look at this, is that we have come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. And the sprinkled blood of Jesus, which speaks forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like Abel. You see, in the old covenant, in the story of Cain and Abel, there was actually judgment for Cain. Judgment he deserved. But in a relationship with Jesus, instead of judgment, there is forgiveness. And God actually literally says to us, the opportunity is for us to receive the life, the death, the blood of Jesus over our life. And what that means is that we have forgiveness for our sins. What that means is we have a brand new start. What that means is we have a brand new life. So yes, yeah, sin is a massive deal. It's a way worse deal than we ever thought possible but God literally comes to us. He says, because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Because of Jesus, you have an opportunity for a new life and a new start. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me? What I wanna do is I wanna give an opportunity for anyone here who hasn't met Jesus yet. Maybe that you have walked away from God and you've been gone for a long time. Maybe you have never heard the story of the good news about Jesus before. You thought Christianity was just about being a good person. Christianity is not about being a good person. Sin has literally affected all of us. The story of the Bible is that we are way worse off than we could possibly imagine, but yet because of Jesus Christ, we are far more loved than we could ever think. And so for some of us, we need to stop trying to be a good person. We need to stop trying to hide. We need to stop trying to act like we have it all together. And we need to just say, God, I actually just need forgiveness. I need a savior. I need somebody to rescue me. God's a first responder. He is showing up right now offering rescue and redemption. So I want to invite anyone who needs a new start, who needs to be forgiven of their sins, who needs salvation, if you would just raise your hand right now, if you would say that, if you would say, I need that. I need God to forgive me of my sins. I need God to completely transform me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for all those hands who have gone up everywhere. Thanks for raising them. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you guys pray? If you raised your hand, repeat this prayer in your heart. Just say, God, I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. I can't be good enough on my own. And yet, because of Jesus, I am forgiven. Because of Jesus, I am set free. Because of Jesus, I can live in the goodness and the grace of God. God, I thank you that sin has no power over us and that you literally on the cross put to death sin. May we walk in your freedom. May we walk in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.